Thanks, Amy. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Glad, uh, glad that you are here today. Uh, as Amy said, my name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor uh, here, and uh, we really are a church for you. No matter who you are or where you are, uh, we really want to be a church for you. And, and as I say I'm the lead pastor, here's what that means. It means that I get to serve a staff who loves to serve you as a church uh, in hopes that we serve the community around us, which is, is the heart behind that trick-or-treat kickoff, is that the, the, the community here yet again has another reason to see the church as a safe place, a place to come and be. And so I hope you'll help us with that. Now, as we get started today... I want to start off with a quote from a theologian that some people call a, a, Christian, a Christian mystic theologian of his time, which, which basically meant uh, in his writings, uh, not only do you get great theology, you also get this, this, this great heart of, of a man who is pursuing life with God and understands that God has been pursuing him the whole time. And there is this great uh, spiritual awakening uh, that happened to me as I read a lot of his works. And his name is A.W. Tozier. And if you haven't read any of his stuff, I really encourage you to. And this is what he says in, in a book called The Pursuit of God, which is a great place to start of his work. And he says this, he said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so here's what I want to do. It's a little bit of, of fun for us this morning. Uh, kid, uh, families at the table and adults at the table, you're already set for this. This is easy for you. You've already got paper and markers and stuff. The rest of us, Find a scrap piece of paper, pull out your phone, do something, because I'm going to give you a writing prompt, and I want you to write something down, all right? And so, so find something to, to jot it down. Doesn't have to be doesn't have to be fancy, all right? I want you to write this down. Like, like you can open up your phone, you can send yourself a text message, send yourself an email, whatever, right? You can draw it out if you want. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about God. Right now, like however, however you picture God, I want you to think about God. And then I want you to answer this question. What comes to your mind when you think about God? And in particular, what I want you to do is try to narrow it down to three words or, 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 or draw it out. Like what, what character? Now, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a little caveat. You can't put Jesus or the Holy Spirit, right? Because they are God, right? So did that, scratch it out, right? Like, like um, uh, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, they're all one. We're a triune church, like we believe in the Trinity. So what comes to your mind when you think of Jesus, when you think of the Holy Spirit, when you think of God the Father? What character qualities come to mind? What, what biblical stories come to mind? What events come to mind? And I want to jot those down. Now here's the deal. I'm going to challenge you to not give the church answers right? Give the most vulnerable, real answers you've got when it comes to God. Give your Monday morning answers, right? When it comes to God. What are the three things? Now, I'm not going to ask you uh, to say them out loud. I really want this to be between you and God. And what I want you to do is I want you to look down at what you wrote, All right? And if I need to give you a little bit more time, I will. But I want you to, to look at what you wrote. Right? And if what you wrote down 
is the most important thing about you, what does that say about you? The way you picture God is the most important thing about you. When you think about God, that's the most important thing about you. It's the most important thing that you think when you think about God. Right? What does that say about you? Is God is the God you describe? Now, granted, I only told you to do three. I, you know, like, like this is limited by nature. But is the, is the God you describe the God of the Bible? Because here's my guess. It's not fully the God of the Bible. That the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, the Holy Spirit of the Bible is bigger than you could put down on a piece of paper. It's, he's bigger than you could put down on a, on a text. He's bigger than you could put down on an email to yourself. That he is bigger. That when we see Jesus, when we, when we hear from the Holy Spirit, when, when we understand this truth of God, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that when we see God as bigger then what we think, this is actually an invitation to let this seep into every area of our lives. God is bigger than we think he is. And when that seeps into every area of our life, it's an invitation to let God change us. And the reason I do this, because this is what we're going to see today. We're going to see Jesus be with his disciples. And we're going to see a group of his disciples, a family of Jesus followers, need Jesus to do something in a very, very specific way. And what we're going to do is we're going to see Jesus actually wait to answer their need. What he's going to do is he's going to show them that he is more than they think he is bigger than they think he is, that he is more powerful than they think he is. And, and through them, Jesus is going to invite us to see him as more than we, we see him today. What I want you to do is to keep out that piece of paper, keep out your phone, keep out the, the stuff you're writing with or drawing with on the back tables. And as you see more of who Jesus is today, I want you to write a little note. Right? I want you to add to your list. that Oh, I didn't know Jesus was this. I didn't know God was this. I want you to, to, to jot that down and let's see if we can see Jesus be more through this passage. We're going to be in John chapter 11. We're going to book it through the whole chapter, verses 1 through 44. One of my favorite uh, uh, chapters in John, one of my favorite uh, events in Jesus' life uh, is what we're going to see today. And we're right in the middle of our series called Questions. And, and, and what we're doing is we're looking at the questions that Jesus asked his followers, right? That, that in the teachings that Jesus did that we have captured in the four Gospels, we see that Jesus asked over 400 questions as he taught people. And we're not going over all 400. We're just doing like 12 of them, right? But he did that to show people something more about himself and invite them to grow in their trust in him. And here's what I hope happens today as we explore today's question of Jesus. I hope we all leave this place today seeing Jesus as more than we thought he was when we walked in. Because y'all listen to me, when we do that, there is no other way than to say that our life is better. Right? It doesn't mean that life is easier. It just means that life is better. That's what I hope happens as we leave here today. Now, we've done this review before. For, for those of you who are joining with us for the first time, either here or, or online, uh, we, 
because we're doing a series and we're jumping all over the Gospels, we're trying to make sure we understand the context of the Gospel that we're in. And so, so we do this review of the Gospels. And when I say Gospels, what I mean is the first four books or letters of the New Testament. We might know them as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A better title for them, and probably most of your Bibles say this, is they say the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to, to Luke, the Gospel according to John. And the reason they do that is because each of these writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the words that we see. And what the Holy Spirit did is he, is he took their, 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 their personality, he took their personal experiences, he took their time with him or their time with others who followed Jesus, and they crafted these letters. And each author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not only had their own experiences that fed into these Gospels, but they also had their own audience that they were writing to and their own themes that they were trying to pull out. Let's see how we do this. We've been reviewing this as we go, and it's great fun, right? In Matthew, Matthew is a Jewish person writing to a Jewish audience. And do you remember what the book of Matthew, the theme? We want to see Jesus as king. That's right. Matthew is, is Jesus is king, and so he is, he is worthy for us to follow him as king. In Mark, we see Jesus as the humble what? Do you remember? Servant, right? And so he is our example of what it is, our perfect example of what it is to serve others. In Luke, remember Luke was a doctor, and he's writing to non-Jewish people primarily. And for him, we see Jesus as what? Human, which means he is the Savior we can connect with, right? He's not this God that's far off. He's, he's human, right? And then in John, we see that Jesus is God. And so we worship him as God. Now, John is where we're going to be today, where we see Jesus is God. And John is going to show us that Jesus is more so that we can increase our belief in him. We can grow in our belief and trust in him. Well, let's, let's dive in. John 11 verse 1 says this. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So what John's doing is he kind of setting up the main players of this, right? All right, we've got we've got two sisters and one brother, and the brother Lazarus is the one that's sick. And and what they're doing is is they sent a message to Jesus, letting him know it's Lazarus uh, that's sick. And and the word that they use, the one that you love, is this is this like brotherly love. And so essentially, the, what they're saying is like Jesus, the guy that you love like a brother, he's sick, and we need you. And we, need, and we need your help. And so the implication here is that they found out where Jesus is. They send a message to him. They said, Jesus, we need you to do something very, very specific for us. We need you to heal our brother. Remember the, the guy that you love like a brother? He's sick. And look at, look at Jesus' response to this messenger. Verse 4, it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Right? And so this is what he told the messenger to take back to Martha and Mary. Hey, don't worry. This isn't going to lead to death. But more importantly, this illness is for God's glory. That, that, that you're going to see God do something. Now, this word for glory is 
doxa, D-O-X-A, right? And it means the way that you think. Like, like what Jesus is saying is he's like, listen, the way you think about God is going to be bigger because of this. Because that's what it means. This is for God's glory. It means that God is, is doing something right now that is going to change the way you think about God. And in and, and, and kind of our terms, is like mind-blowing, right? That Jesus is saying, hey, this isn't going to lead to death. God's going to blow your mind, right? Now, here's, here's the tension. Maybe you're here today or you're watching it online or you're listening to this on a podcast later and you need something specific from Jesus, right? You need Jesus to do something just for you. And maybe, maybe it's something that you haven't even told anybody around you about. Like it is that specific. And you're asking Jesus to do that. And, and maybe you're just like these sisters and you sent the message to Jesus, right? I was watching this comedian and, and, and they, were, they were doing this prayer and they said, in Jesus' name. And he goes, that's our stamp, right? When we put in Jesus' name on it, we know that the postage delivers it right to the throne of God, right? Like, like you put the stamp on it, it's Jesus' name and it's, and it's there, right? And you're doing just what these sisters did Right? And what if I told you that that need in your heart is there for a reason? That that need, that, that thing that you keep asking God to do is there so that you can see God bigger. So that God can blow your mind in a way that you don't expect. Right? What if it's an invitation to trust that Jesus is more? more than you think he is right now. Because listen, here's, here's, what, here's what I love about this next verse. Don't look at it yet, right? Because here's what I love that John anticipates, right? These sisters sent this message. Jesus says it's not gonna end in death. It's for God's glory. What we'll see in just a minute is that Jesus decides to wait to go, right? To go, to go help Lazarus. Here's what happens when we have this specific need that we're asking God and, and, and God decides to wait is we can grow really impatient. We can grow really cynical. We can get to the point where we feel like God's not hearing me, right? I have asked, I have asked, I have asked. I've read the verse about the, the verses about the widow that keeps bothering the judge and the judge finally relents and my judge hasn't relented. Like I keep asking, I keep bothering and nothing is moving and we grow impatient and we grow cynical and we think God doesn't hear and if, and if we believe that God doesn't hear us long enough, it's really easy for us to be like, God doesn't even love me anymore. Well, this is why John does verse five. Look at verse five. Verse five says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You see, what John is showing us here is that Jesus' waiting had nothing to do with his love for them. That he loved Mary. He loved Martha. He loved Lazarus. And he loved them enough to wait. He loved them enough them see God as bigger than they think, which means he's going to have to wait because he's going to do something that's going to blow their minds. See, he loves you enough to wait. He loves you enough for you to see Jesus be more than you think he is. 
He loves you enough for you to be in the place where you are right now with this specific thing that you're asking God to do so that you get to see Jesus as more. Because look at what happens in verse 6. In verse 6, it says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Here's what we don't know. We're not really sure where Jesus was. We just know that he stayed there two days. Now, keep in mind, he couldn't hop on a bus or train and just get there. He had to walk. So it could have taken him days longer to actually get to where Lazarus is. And so, so all we know is that when the messenger gets back, they say, hey, this isn't going to end in death. God's going to be glorified. And Mary and Martha are just sitting there going, so when's he going to get here? Right? When's he going to show up? And they wait. Now remember, Jesus loves them and he waits to answer their call just like Jesus loves you and he waits to answer your call. Why? Because remember, this is all for God's glory. This is so that, that they can have their minds blown by who God is, by who Jesus is. They can understand more of who Jesus is. Now here's the question. Is God the God who waits because he's too busy with other people? No. No. You see, God is the God who waits because he loves you. Y'all, what would happen if this truth settled deep in our souls today? What would happen if we believe that God waits to answer me because God loves me? That God waits to answer me because God loves me. Sometimes that's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Because we want God to answer us now. But what if God's waiting because he loves you? What would happen if the way we think about God starts with his love? Right? We'll just keep watching and see. Verse 7. We've got to pick up the pace here. All right, verse 7. It says, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, if the Jews were Let's see, the, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are, are, are you going there again? And so, see, here's the deal. Both he and the disciples know this, that, that Jesus and the disciples know going back to Jerusalem means death for Jesus. Because if you remember, he was there before, and he stirred up a lot of controversy, and the religious leaders threatened his life. And, and he knows that if he goes back to the hotbed of religious leaders, he is going to surely die, right? Because that's what this means. Now, we're going to find out in a little bit that Bethany is only two miles away from Jerusalem. And so, if you know how this story ends, what's about to happen in Bethany is going to be big news, and that big news is going to spread to Jerusalem, and they're going to find out, y'all, Jesus is here. Let's go get him. Right, now, here's what, what Jesus knows, that, that yes, going back to answer this specific need is going to bring God glory, but it's also going to bring attention to him, which will lead to his crucifixion, right? Which will also lead to his resurrection, which which is the greatest display of glory. So here's, here's why I want to pause real quick here. Listen, your waiting may feel absolutely miserable right now, right? God loves you, and it's for his glory. Look at verse 9. 
Verse 9 says this. It says, And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? And if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. You see, Jesus is saying this decision to go to Jerusalem, not only is it for God's glory, it is God's will for me to do this. It is God's decision, which means anything that happens as a result of this decision is exactly what God wants to happen. And he's comfortable with that. Now, y'all, this is important because a couple of times in this chapter, we see a misunderstanding. We see a misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And and people don't get at the disciples. When Jesus said asleep, he meant like snoring asleep. And he meant dead, like he already knew that Lazarus was dead, right? And they think, well, if he's sleeping, like fever's going to break. He'll be fine. Jesus is like, oh, you'll, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see, right? Anybody ever been confused? by what God's doing? Anybody ever been confused as you wait? Like you're like, I'm doing all the right things. I'm taking all the steps, right? And yet you're waiting, right? Do you ever wonder why God is waiting so long to give you a job or or to give you a spouse or to change your spouse or to change you, to, 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 to help your spouse, to relieve the depression, to relieve the anxiety, to relieve the stress? Why is God waiting to give you the thing you keep asking for, especially if the thing is good? You see, here's the deal. It's easy to misunderstand God's waiting. That's one of the things I hope to correct today, that, that when God is waiting, he's waiting because he what? He loves you. Right? And maybe God really does have something that he's going to blow your mind with. And maybe the waiting is so that you can see Jesus as more, which is why Jesus says this in verse 14. It says, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, I don't know if Thomas is being sarcastic here or if he's like, let's do this team. I'm not sure which, but either way, it's, it's interesting to see because Jesus uh, says that these disciples are about to have an invitation to believe even more. Like, yes, he's dead, but listen, guys, this is for you. And I think Thomas might be saying, all right, let's do this. Because look at what they discover when they get there. Verse 17. Verse 17 says this. Now, uh, when, Jesus, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Right? How many days was Jesus in the tomb? Three. Right? Lazarus is there for four. And John is saying this just so that we know that Lazarus is like dead, dead. Right? Now, the reason I say that, anybody ever heard the term saved by the bell? Right? And I don't mean like the cheesy show from the 90s. I mean, maybe you heard of it there, but do you know where that comes from? It is like, it's horrific, right? Particularly in the South, uh, where it's hot and humid, what would happen when plagues would come through? Because, like, this isn't the first pandemic America's been through, right? Like, there were other pandemics that, that had gone through America. And in the South, when people would die, because it was so hot and humid, y'all, this gets a little gross, 
but their bodies would start decomposing so fast that, that to avoid the, the smell, to be honest, they would bury people. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes they misdiagnosed people before they were dead. They weren't really dead. And so as they've excavated coffins, because they would, they would bury people and then they need to bury other people, so they would excavate the coffin and bury somebody else there, what they discovered is, is nail marks on the insides of the coffins. See, I told you. <laughs> like, people would try and get out because they would wake up. Well, so what they started doing is they would tie a string to a person's hand when they buried them and tie it to a bell on the tombstone or on the ground outside so that if they did wake up and started moving, it would ring the bell. And they would immediately start excavating the coffin and save them, hence the term saved by the bell. You're welcome. Sermon over. Have a great day. <laughs> right, but like, here's the deal. What they wanted you to know is that Lazarus is, it doesn't have a bell, right? Like, like he is dead, dead. There is no bell ringing, right? Well, watch what happens when these sisters find out that Jesus has arrived. Now, now and, and before we look at verse 18, like just imagine where they are. Like, like they got this message saying, this won't lead to death. It's for God's glory. And now their, their brother has been dead for four days, like dead and buried dead for four days. What do you think they're thinking about Jesus in this moment? He does not know what he's talking about. You said it wasn't gonna lead to death. And my brother has been in that grave for four days days. But here's what I love. We're going to see Mary and Martha respond to Jesus in a way that I think is really good for us to see. I think there's a lot for us to learn. I've, I've learned stuff as I've seen their response. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says this, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, that's how we know, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. A lot of people think that the, they had professional mourners that would come and help them. And so some of them would be from Jerusalem since it was only two miles away. And so they'd be the ones that would carry the news back to Jerusalem of what Jesus is about to do. And so that was kind of the information chain there. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, here's the deal. Martha usually bad press from us preachers, right? Because she's busy. She's the one that's busy. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Like, like she's the one here that, man, she gives the right answers. This is where I've grown to see that Jesus is more, right? Because I used to think as I read this that in some ways Jesus dismisses Martha, right? Because she has the right answer, but she doesn't have faith. Actually, I think she has great faith in this. I think she could come complaining, but instead she comes and she says, even now, I know you can do something, right? I think he's going to blow her mind. I wonder if her something is you can make us feel better, you can, you can console us, you can comfort us. And what she's about to see is, is going to blow her mind. But, 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 but what we see here is that Martha, and, and like all people like Martha, people that you know, know the right answers, that, that here's what it would do for me. Let me back up to that just a minute because 
here's what it gave me permission to do as I did this. If Jesus dismissed Martha for having the right answers and what didn't appear like faith, it gave me permission to do the same thing to people. That if they had the right answers, but if I didn't see faith in their life, I could dismiss them. And that's why I had to confess that as just wrong thinking and sinful behavior. Because what we see here is that, is that Jesus meets Martha right where she is. And he's going to challenge her the same way he challenges Mary. Because I can tend to be more like Mary than Martha. And that's what I see Jesus doing here is that Jesus meets Martha right where she is. And through Martha, I've been able to see that Jesus is more. Because here's what I see in Martha. I see that she believes in Jesus. Right? She believes that he is faithful. But here's what I see too, that Martha believes all the Jesus she knows. Right? Now let me explain what I mean by that. She knows that if Jesus was with Lazarus, guess what? Lazarus would still be alive today. But for whatever reason, Jesus wasn't here. And she knows that even now Jesus could do something. And y'all, there are many of us that are here right now. That's why I had you write down those words, those phrases, those stories. Because you believe, I believe, we believe all the Jesus we know. And I want us to believe today that Jesus is bigger than that. That we don't know all the Jesus that there is to know. We don't know all the Holy Spirit there is to know. We don't know all the God there is to know. It is revealed here in the scriptures, and we've still got learning to do. I even believe we're going to be learning for all of eternity of how big and beautiful God is. You see, we too believe all the Jesus we know, and yet he's bigger and better, and more powerful, and more loving, and more present than we even know. And every day is an invitation to know him better, which is why this happens. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, oh, I know he'll, the O was my elaboration. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Right? Man, her theology is right She believes in the resurrection. She believes that her brother is going to be resurrected. And she believes that Jesus is going to do that. That's the Jesus she knows, right? Well, Jesus is going to show her, actually, yes, you're right. But there's something even better. There's something even better than having the right answer. There's something even better than having right theology. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says this, And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Jesus lets her know, Martha, your theology is right. But good theology isn't found in just answering questions. Good theology is found in pointing to Jesus. That's good theology. When it points to Jesus as the answer of that theology. And and Jesus wants Martha to know that her problem isn't in not having the right answer. Her problem is, her her answer is found in knowing the right person. One commentator said this, when you're being sued, you don't need a law book, you need an attorney. Right? When you get the cancer of diagnosis, you don't need a medical book, you need a doctor. And when you're facing death, you don't need a theology book, you need a savior. 
And that's what Jesus is going to blow her mind with. That yes, your answer is right, but even better than a right answer is having the right person. And Jesus says that is him. Look at verse 26. Because he says this, do you believe this? Right? That's our question today. Jesus says, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection? Not that Lazarus is just going to be resurrected by me, but I am the resurrection. And in me there is life. And he says, Martha, do you believe what I just said? Do you believe this? And it's our question to show us more of who Jesus is so we can grow to trust him. Do you believe that Jesus is more than your understanding of him? And so church, let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is more than you think he is? Do you believe that Jesus is more than your theology? Do you believe that Jesus is more than your doctrine, more than your understanding? Do you believe that Jesus is more than your problem? Do you believe that you need more Jesus? Look at Martha's response, verse 27. She told him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. See, she makes this very clear confession. Yes, Lord. But Jesus isn't done, right? Because there's another sister. There's someone else. Look at verse 28. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when Jesus, uh, with, I mean, with, when the Jews who were with her, In the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep, to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him, and she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the exact same thing that Martha says. Like in Bible study methods, you pay attention to that. When somebody says the exact same thing, it's there for a reason. Martha said the same thing that Mary said. Mary said the same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you had been here for a reason, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. But notice their position is different. Mary falls down at Jesus' feet. It's interesting. Anytime you see Mary, that's where she is. In the book of John later, we will see him, her anointing Jesus' feet with oil. She's at his feet then. When Jesus teaches, Mary is at his feet. She's learning from him. Like theology may not be Mary's thing. It may not be some of our things, right? It may not be some of your things. But here's the deal. She still needs more of Jesus. And Jesus is going to show her more of who he is. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 says this. And when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus' response here in the Greek is actually more similar to anger than sadness. We'll see him weep in a minute, but deeply moved and troubled in spirit. The term deeply moved is anger. Like he's angry at something. What is he angry at? Is he angry at Mary's response? No. I, don't, I, I think that's, that, that, that's crazy. But we need to know where, where, where Jesus' anger is directed. Why? Because sometimes when we, we wait, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand about this, but has this question ever popped into your mind? Is God angry with me? Is that why he's not answering? Is that why he feels so distant? See, we need to know what Jesus is angry at. To be able to answer that question. 
Is he angry at Mary? You see, I don't think God's any more angry with Mary. I don't think he's, he's angry at Mary at all. Jesus' Jesus's anger is at the reason Mary and Martha are in this predicament. They're, he's angry because of death. Because Lazarus has died. Because Jesus knows what death means. Jesus knows that death is the result of something that happened in the garden centuries before that. When sin and death entered the world and separation from God became this normal experience for humanity instead of walking in the garden with him. And it didn't mean that God was wasn't present with his people. He was always present with his people. You can't get away from that when you read the Old Testament. But it does mean that there was this shift in the relationship between humanity and, and, and God and that scene in death as this ultimate separation that Mary and Martha are there crying because Lazarus is gone, because, because sin has entered the world. And look at verse 34. Verse 34 says this, and, she, and, he said to, and, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, and come see. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. And so, so what this means is, is, y'all, we're about to see, right, Jesus blow their mind. Because look at what it says. It says, but some of them said, could he not could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In other words, that's the Jesus they expect, right? Their minds are about to be blown. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the practical one, I'll add that, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Right? We love having those people in our life. They keep our lives ordered, don't they? Right? Right? Now, watch this. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? In other words, he says, Now listen, I'm about to blow your mind here, Martha. All right? Mary, you ready for this? Martha, you ready for this? You mourners back there, y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? And so he took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, one commentator said Jesus had to call his name because there were multiple bodies in the tomb. And if he just said, come out, everybody would have come out, right? And he said, Lazarus, come out. And here he comes, looking like a mummy coming out of there. Jesus did this. Like, Lazarus was dead, dead. And now he's here. You see, the sisters expected healing. And what they got was a mind-blowing resurrection. Right? They expected Jesus to show up on time, on their time. And instead, Jesus showed up on his time. 
and their minds were blown. They expected Jesus to do what they had seen him do before. You've healed the blind. Surely this fits in that same category. You could have healed the sick. I've seen you heal the sick. You can do it. You should have done it here. This is what we expect. Instead, they got to see Jesus do more. Now, church, let me ask you this. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. What if Jesus is more? What if God is more? What if the Holy Spirit is more? What if God What if God is better? What if God is more loving, more merciful, more kind, more just than you think he is? What if God right now is inviting you to trust him as more? More. Is Jesus asking you to trust him as your savior with your whole life? To put your life, your expectations, your dreams, your aspirations into his hand. To to trust him to be your, your access to this good and right and personal relationship with the God who loves you and the God who created you. If he is asking you to do that today, then say yes. If this is you, maybe your words that you thought about God were distant and uncaring and, and unknowable. That he is far off. Well, Jesus is your way to bring him in close. And to give you life, not just life eternal, but life today. To give you life. See, the invitation is clear because Jesus said that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. And so the question to you is, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is that way to God? If yes, then welcome to the family of God because it really is that simple. Saying yes to Jesus to take away the payment and penalty of your sin and to in its place give you this this life-giving relationship with God where the weight of sin is lifted off of you. And I'd be glad to help you get started on that life today, that new life with Jesus today. You can email me, fred at fellowshipashville.com and and we'll set up a time to to get together. I'll connect you with one of our staff. Email me and let's let's get started. But for those of you who have already said yes to this, to, to, to Jesus, I've got an important question for you, right? Is Jesus inviting you to see him as more and trust him to grow and, and, and inviting, inviting you to, to grow in your trust of him as more? And if so, I've got a very simple question for you. It's gonna look really familiar. The question is this. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is more? Church, what would happen if you believe that Jesus is more? What would happen? Here, here's, let me give you just a little picture. You would realize that you are more loved than you can possibly imagine. Like loved in a way that has no strings attached, love. And in return, you would love others in a way that's really scary and really uncomfortable. And you would love others more than you do right now. What, what, what would happen is that you would also see yourself as more needy than you want to admit. Right? That you don't have it all together. 
here at Fellowship, you can say you can be anything except a liar. And we mean that. We are all a hot mess at any given moment. When you realize that Jesus is more, you realize it's okay to see yourself that way. Because when you do, what you will also see is you are more accepted than you could possibly believe. That Jesus not only loves you, but get this, he likes you in the midst of being a hot mess. And you will know that. And, and in return, you will have compassion for people that is, is beyond your understanding. Church, let me ask you, do you believe this? Okay, so here's the deal. I was a third grade teacher, and sometimes when I ask a question, I love a response. Not all the time, so I know it's kind of hard to tell. Do I respond? Do I not respond? So let me give you a prompt. Go ahead and respond to this, all right? Let me ask you, church, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is more than what you thought he was when you walked into this place? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine? Do you believe this? Do you believe that you are more needy than you feel comfortable admitting? Do you believe this? Okay, a little less. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Right? But do you believe you are more accepted in your neediness than you're comfortable admitting to? Do you believe this? Yeah, because you are. Now, here's something that I want to do, and I'm not sure how to end this, um, uh, but we're just going to do it. I need um, a couple. This is not a COVID-friendly experiment, I realize, um, but uh, we're going to do it anyway, and if you're not comfortable with it, that's okay. Uh, you, I'll leave these up here. I'll leave some up here for you. Um, I want everybody to take a piece of paper, and I want you to write down one word of how Jesus is more in your life. Is he more loving? Is he more accepting? Like You write the word, and then I want you to bring it up here at the end of the service. Because what we're going to do is I'm going to take all those words and put them in a document and, and do that word art with them, you know, where you get to see and which ones are the most repeated and all that stuff. And then we'll put that out on social media so we can see what fellowship sees God as. Right? Because the way we see God, church, is the most important thing about us as a church. And I want to try and capture that. So uh, who are my school teachers in the room? All right, Ms. Cranford, come on down. Who, who else raised their hand? Uh, yes, uh, Mr. Quigley, come on down. Ms. Cranford, would you pass these out? And as we go into worship, write down that word and then bring it up here after the service. And if you would do, can, can you go up that way and just do both sides? Thank you. And let me pray for us. It means you have to scurry for a pen. If you need a pen, there are some back there at the Serve Asheville table that you can also sign up for something on your way out. All right? And then bring the piece of paper up here. Jesus, uh, you are good. As we go into this time of worship, uh, may you be exalted. May you be glorified. And may you blow our minds with who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.